0: Introduce the podcast in a while how about you introduce the podcast i
1: haven't been introducing it because i don't know what it is
0: well that's good (laughs) to know on our 138th episode maybe i feel like we already
1: hit 138 but i also feel like march was two weeks ago so that's true i may not be nothing is real i i may not be the most hang on we're pulling it up And we're. This is 138. You are correct.
0: (gasps) Look at me. Damn. It's almost like I looked at the schedule and saw what number it was as I was working on this.
1: As if you, I don't know, pay attention.
0: (laughs) I'm telling you guys. After 138 episodes, you really lock down the formula. You just know what you're doing. And yeah. yeah. So now we're rolling. I think this is going to be a long one today because I don't think I've had this much fun researching an episode in quite a while. And I do say fun because usually we're covering something that's like horribly gruesome and it's like, ugh, this is emotionally taxing. This one, I mean, no one really gets hurt. I mean, I'm sure like somebody had to be taken to the hospital at one point, so that really sucks, but nobody died. So this is... This is like a good shot in Freud a crime, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Did you get that sense while you were watching the documentaries?
1: Honestly, the only sense that I really got from the documentaries was just jaw on the floor. Like the it, it it's like a Monty Python movie.
0: It's a joke how yes. horrible this went. Yes, <laughs> that's why that's why it was fun. So this is if you haven't seen the. Uh, the title we're talking about the fire festival and um if you don't know what the fire festival is i am so excited to bring it to you because it's just one of my favorite things to like read about and look at because of how horrendous it was Mm -hmm. so the fire festival was supposed to be a luxury music festival founded by and here's the first red flag 25 year old Billy McFarland, who is the CEO of fire media and second red flag. The second uh, founder was rapper Ja Rule as Caitlin already said. Yes. He Ja Rule. Just some random 25 year old white kid and Ja Rule. Coming to NBC this fall. (laughs) Oh God. So it was created actually with the intention of promoting the company's fire app, which was a music, like a, a, talent booking like you could book like celebrities influencers and stuff to like come to events i'll get more into it later because it's hilarious but the festival was scheduled to take place on april 28th through the 30th and may 5th through the 7th so two weekends on the bahaman island of great exuma and the event was basically born and died on social media um, it was promoted on Instagram by social media influencers like Kendall Jenner, Bella Hadid, Haley Baldwin and Emily Radajowski? Rataj- Radakowski?
1: Oh, fuck. I knew how to say this once upon a time.
0: I think Ratta- it's Radajowski.
1: I think it's Radakowski. Okay. I think Her. the J is I, just I never- like a
0: a red herring. I don't think it means okay. anything. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't follow any of these people. Um, but lots of Everyone that posted, well, most of them, um, didn't initially disclose that they had been paid to do so. So everyone thought, like, this is just something that they're posting that they're doing. Not like, hey, I got paid to do this, so maybe I'm not the best source to go to on if this is chill or not. Um, But it went horrifically wrong, and it's so much fun. But first, before we actually talk about the festival, we need to learn what idiot decided to put this on. And mm-hmm. that idiot is Billy McFarland, <laughs> and he was raised in the Short Hill section of uh, Milburn, New Jersey. So, ah. yeah, so he's from Jersey. So just to, like, balance ourselves out and... I don't want people saying like, yeah, New Jersey's the armpit of, the, of America. Well, okay. here are some good people from Jersey. We have Danny DeVito. True. We have Bruce Springsteen. Okay. Uh, astronaut Buzz Aldrin. Oh, okay.
1: Okay. Didn't uh, go first on the child author child author Judy Bloom. Okay. Okay. Are you there, God? Uh, scrub Zach Braff. De- depending on the day.
0: He's great. You should listen. Everyone should listen to his podcast. It's podcast been like really great. getting me through quarantine. Really uh, fucking fake Doctors funny. Real Friends. Scrubs Rewatch podcast. I do love their me. relationship too. It's adorable.
1: It's so cute.
0: Um, And then we also have Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones. And the Dinkster. And, yes. Oh, I love uh, it. Nathan Lane uh, mm-hmm. from The Birdcage, which we talked about <laughs> last week. How and else? also- how the voice work of uh, timon yes yeah yeah and then whitney houston and frank sinatra just incredible people so yes we have we have those people well, but we also have billy mcfarland incredible singers
1: i would say frank sinatra we will do an episode on him probably at some point <laughs> he's done yeah. some shit He's, yeah
0: so he's. okay fine <laughs> cut him off the list but danny devito man
1: john bon jovi has a restaurant where he like feeds the homeless for free so we can that's true we can, we can, can bump bon jovi we can bump sinatra
0: there. okay okay right.
1: sounds um, fine but yeah
0: but we also have billy mcfarland so <laughs>
1: yeah but i anyway. mean you also have snooki and she's the not entire from jersey. Cast of the jersey shore she's technically not adopted from, jersey. from like peru or something isn't she yeah but they all lived on long island Oh, the more you know. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Why would
0: they? Okay. Anyway, we're not doing a Jersey Shore episode. Please so, God, no. Uh Billy McFarlane's parents were real estate developers. Um, at the age of 13, Billy founded an online outsourcing startup that matched clients with web designers, which I don't know why this would be interesting to you at age 13. Just do regular kid shit. Um, but he would like... He basically ran the business by, like, getting on the phone and, like, doing, like, a fake deep voice to pretend that he was, like, an older person, which I don't know who would uh, fall for that, but what the fuck ever. Um, So he graduated from high school in 2010, and then he attended Bucknell University, where he studied computer engineering. But he did drop out of May of his freshman year, Oh, when wow. he founded the short-lived online advertisement platform Spling, where he served as the CEO.
1: Great name. Um, I can understand why. He's a regular Zuckerberg.
0: Yeah. At, what was he, 19 at this point? Probably. About. Barely. Yeah. Depending. I had never heard of Spling. Apparently, it's described as basically like a Google Plus type platform. where you could, you, you could like share things with your friends. Um, Did he write I mean, that? It, Did he say that? No, somebody in one of the documentaries said that.
1: Okay, because I was going to say, I... Because Google Plus (laughs) didn't... I don't know if Google Plus existed at that point. Google Plus also bombed, so that should tell you...
0: Oh, this was around 2011, maybe, so Google Plus was probably around at that point.
1: Maybe. I don't know. I feel like Google Plus only lasted for, like, five years. I don't don't know. know. Who knows? If you know, let us know.
0: But on Wikipedia, Sling was, uh was described as an online advertisement platform. I don't really understand what it was, but in one of the documentaries, they show like a clip of um, a video where he was like doing a demo presentation and like his laptop wouldn't hook up and then like it kept crashing. (laughs) Like it was awful. Like if you need some good like like public speaking embarrassment videos, look that up because it's incredible. Um, so after that bullshit, he moved to New York City, where he struggled to find footing as a millennial in a big city during such uncertain times, because this was after the, um, the recession, and, uh, even though he only went to school until May, I don't know if he had, like, student loan stuff, all of his friends did, so, like, he's in this big city trying to, like, figure out what he wants to do for a career as a person who, didn't end up graduating college and um it just a really weird time to be growing up yeah so he explains that he got the next idea for his new business when he was out to eat with friends and the bill came and everybody does what (laughs) what people are still doing today pulling out their individual debit cards and billy thought this is a direct quote from one of the documentaries Wow, like, what if I can make these cooler? A great mind at work. (laughs) Well, that's how Magnesis was born. I hate the name, but that's a whole other thing.
1: Isn't that an X-Men villain?
0: (laughs) It sounds like it. (laughs) Um, so the company's namesake card, the Magnesis card, it was targeted at Millennials, and it was widely compared to the American Express Black card. Um... Similarities between the two cards included that they were both black, uh, they were made of metal, and they promised exclusive perks to members. But despite appearances, Magnesis' card was not a real charge card. Like, it wasn't, like you couldn't get a card through Magnesis. It basically just copied the, um, the information from the back of your existing debit card from, like, Wells Fargo or Bank of America or whatever, and put it on this hunk of metal. So you could, like, look fancy when you went out, I guess. Okay. It's I mean, I I know somebody that uh their parent has one of the black cards. And, like, yeah. she has, like, the second card of it. And it is really fun to be like, oh, my God, this is so bougie. It's metal. But I don't think I need to pay, like, a yearly membership to have that. Yeah, so that's think- the
1: issue. It's because, like, it, yeah, it's, it's impressive. It. But... Why it's a Tom
0: Haver for John Ralphio e. Saperstein type of thing. Oh, we're gonna get deep into like <laughs> entertainment seven twenty comparisons. So hold on to that. You don't think I could get out of this without a Parks reference, right? No, never. No. Um, but yeah, it was basically a useless hunk of metal that had like your existing bank's information put onto. Um. By December 2013, the company had about 500 members. Benefits offered to members included VIP access to clubs, hotel discounts, and various exclusive events. The company was initially based out of a rented townhouse in the West Village neighborhood of Manhattan. That's in New York City. Um, The owner of this townhouse filed a lawsuit against Billy in 2015, alleging that he had trashed the building, accusations which Billy himself denied, Uh, The case was settled in January 2016, and the company subsequently relocated its headquarters to the Chelsea neighborhood of Manhattan, also New York City. By 2016, it was operating in New York City, Chicago, and according to Billy, its membership had grown to the tens of thousands. Um, It never got that big. We're going to find that Billy inflates a lot of numbers, and some of them not legally. Never would have guessed. Yeah, he's fucking horrible. But one of the big perks of the Magnesis membership was that you had the use of this fancy New York City townhouse for parties and events. So when the owner said they trashed the building and they had to get out of there, um, when that was taken away, money wasn't really coming in. So Billy had to really think fast and we're going to see that this is uh, a pattern with him. But... One of his former employees uh, interviewed for the Hulu documentary. Oh my god, I'm tripping (laughs) over every word. Uh, This girl said that Billy knew he could get money quickly by selling tickets. So he started offering exclusive tickets to events that he did not even have tickets for. And that was things like a private J-Lo party exclusive tickets for a beyonce and jay-z concert the super bowl and even 200 tickets to hamilton so he would just he would just uh blast email all of the members and say like hey i have a certain number of tickets for this event pay me x and like i'll get you your tickets people would send him the money so he could pay something else off and he never had the tickets and then people would be there like day of and be like dude where are my tickets? And he would have to buy them, like, really quick on StubHub and, like, for, like, triple the amount that he could have already bought them for. And uh, so every time he sold one event, he would have to make money for the next event. So it was a vicious circle, and uh, no wonder he got caught, because I don't know how he thought that that was sustainable in any way. Okay. Um not long after one of the most important investors of magnesis oil and gas tycoon aubrey mcclendon uh was indicted for securities fraud and his uh with his company chesapeake energy this guy was um like an entrepreneur that billy really looked up to and uh, he was really excited when uh aubrey mcclendon like came on as an investor and he used him as like a role model so obviously somebody who's scamming looks up to this person who we find out is also scamming everybody. And so after he was indicted, the next day he suspiciously died in a single vehicle accident that was later ruled a suicide. Wow. Yeah. Shit. So couldn't hang. Um while Magnesis was drowning, Um, Billy pulled some staff members into a new side business that he was thinking about and that business was Fire Media. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I looked into so many articles describing like, what exactly is this thing? They do describe it in uh, both the documentaries, the Hulu and the Netflix documentaries, but like I needed to do some like deep research onto what this shit is. It's a so, lifestyle, clearly. It's the amount of, like, <laughs> fire puns. Like, they refer to some of, like, the, um, the people that were, like, posting. Like, they were being paid, basically, to post about the festival. They called them fire starters. Oh. And it made me want to, like, throw up.
1: <laughs> if that doesn't sound like an MLM, I don't know what to tell you.
0: It's horrible. So, the initial pitch for fire was to build a year-round creative center in the bahamas where artists could come and record models could have photo shoots and then there would be this yearly festival they wanted to keep the festival going for five years and this was this was billy's words uh in the hulu documentary like that's what he wanted that's what his initial vision was and then they were going to promote the fire app which was described as quote A global entertainment marketplace that helps venues, brands, and qualified private bookers book talent for live performances, appearances, and paid social posts through one consistent and easy digital platform. End quote. Um, I guess, good idea, but it seems like a little tindery uh, for how important and how much money would be passed through during this app, because... They said it was, like, top to bottom. You, like, you bid um, for the the talent that you wanted. So if you wanted to have, like, Adele sing for some event, you could, (laughs) like, contact her people through the app, make a bid, and then they could come back and say, like, okay, we accept or deny. And then you'd pass the money through the app, too, and sign all the contracts and everything. So it seems like it would be, like, a high-security type app. And also, like... God forbid like something went down, then like you lose so much legal information that like it seems sketchy,
1: yeah, it doesn't seem like a good idea, I mean, no, granted, I'm no mark Cuban, but
0: uh, and it wasn't it wasn't really for like like you or I wouldn't be able to really like go on and um and like book somebody for like some event. It didn't seem like that. It seemed like it was yeah. more for industry people.
1: Right. Right, which is a very small demographic.
0: I guess, yeah. I mean, I didn't I don't know too much about that side of the business, but it it just seemed too niche, but whatever. Mm-hmm. So, like I said they wanted to have um through the first five years of promoting this, they wanted to have a yearly festival. And when you look online, uh, somebody posted, like, the presentation deck, like, the slideshow, pretty much, for investors, um, potential investors. um, And they would describe um, the app, and then they started to describe the festival. And when they were talking about the first fire Festival, it was described in the presentation as... um, year one water so it seemed like they were planning over the next five years to cover like five elements and maybe the last one would have been fire i don't know because it's the fire app it was an interesting idea like um yeah on the information the presentation deck it said quote throughout the next five years we will traverse the globe to find untouched lands and convert them into unparalleled experiences fire will work to bring life to each region through the process of significant, uh, through the purchase of significant land, we will utilize um, the Each Festival. That's what <laughs> the actual thing says. I copied it straight from it. Uh, through the purchase of significant land, we will utilize the Each Festival as a major cultural event to bring awareness, visitors, and livelihood to the land. So it sounded like a good idea in theory. That, like, they wanted to bring something um, in at least, like, the first year. They wanted to bring something to the Bahamas. That they wanted to bring uh, visitors who maybe wouldn't have gone otherwise. Um, They wanted to bring business to people who were working there, living there. And I think it sounded like a decent pitch, but, like, obviously the execution was done by a a 25-year-old and... A rapper with priors so <laughs> uh, and
1: and to be quite honest it's it's ja rule
0: it's not jay-z yeah. like yeah. Uh, but that's okay Doesn't, yeah anyway so when billy started visiting the islands with ja rule he spoke to some locals who were all extremely skeptical of his grand plans the island that they wanted to use was the lightly populated norman k island that was the former private island of Carlos Leder uh, Rivas, who was a former kingpin of the uh, Medellin cartel and associate of Pablo Escobar. Oh. Uh, yeah. The fire team leased the land from the current owners with explicit instructions not to mention the cartel association in any promotional material. Remember that I said that. Remembering. So, Billy seemed to ignore all experienced planners at pretty much every single turn. Um, He was reportedly taken aback when informed that the event would cost at least $50 million to stage in the time available, uh, as he had promised. So, to the level that he wanted in the time frame that he gave, it would be $50 million. Honestly, for everything that they promised, if you ever watched the promo video and... In the documentaries they show like the basic layout they wanted to have villas and like glamping tents like i'll get more into it later but 50 million sounds like a steal for what they wanted to do right um but he was like no 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 we could do it for so much cheaper so um the more experienced consultants told him that in addition to the cost Uh, an event of this magnitude would need an extra year to plan, which no duh. Yeah. Um, He and his associates at FIRE believed that it would cost far less and continued with their plans under that assumption. The organizers tried to do things themselves where possible. Um, Billy supposedly learned how to rent the stage by doing a Google search. So he googled, how do I rent... ...a stage for a luxury music festival. (laughs) Uh, 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 Okay. Yep. Yeah. I'm... So now I'm gonna start breaking it down by the timeline. So this is five months out. Five months from when they want to host this festival. Or when they're saying they're hosting this festival. So... This five months before the event was supposed to take place, Billy and the fire team came to Norman K to film a commercial star-studded with models and influencers. There was swimming with pigs, gorgeous women in bikinis, and although the shoot itself was chaotic, they were able to create a commercial that captured the otherworldly luxury type vibe that they were going for. Right. Um, Once the commercial was ready, it was actually time to market it. And the Fuck Jerry team, um, I would say, are the stars of the Fire Festival. (laughs) They set it up into the stratosphere and crashed it down in one swoop.
1: Fuck Jerry giveth and Fuck Jerry taketh away.
0: Yeah. So, um, the concept behind the launch was to stop the internet. So, to break up the sameness that can be a regular Instagram feed... Um, fuck Jerry created the orange tile that was supposed to um, be posted all at the same time by popular influencers, musicians, and artists. And um, like you can't get away from it even with the algorithm. Like Everyone's posting it at the exact same time and if you're the kind of person that like follows all these people that are going to be going to this event, then all you see is this orange tile and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Finally, you click on one of them And tapping on the orange tile would bring the user to the promo commercial, which prominently stated, quote, on an island formerly owned by Pablo Escobar, end quote. Um, So after the commercial went viral and it was trending everywhere, the owners of the island immediately terminated their deal with fire and they were left with four months to find a place to hold the festival and plan the entire thing. Ooh. they did it yeah they did that. the fact that it, the fact that it was five months out and they still like they hadn't like started building anything they just filmed the commercial so that's wild but now they're back to square one with only four months left right so scrambling whatever um if any of the investors had bothered to look into any of this they would have known that there is not a lot of infrastructure in private islands in the Bahamas Um, even if they were able to purchase an island in four months which they couldn't um, it would still take a minimum of a year to build everything that they would need to have the festival you know like fucking running water and electricity and stable Wi-Fi and just basic shit And coming from somebody who works in a construction field, I will tell you that it will take a lot longer than that. Because we currently have somebody in our town building five houses in, like, one residential area, and it's taken three years already. Oh, my God. Oh. And we already have plumbing and shit. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, An extra year to make this, like, luxury place? No. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, so, after several small islands that seemed like likely venues were turned down, with only two months to go before the fire Festival, the Bohemian government gave Billy a permit to use a site set aside for development at Broker Point on Great Exuma, and this little area was just north of the Sandals Resort on Great Exuma. Uh, luckily for them, Great Exuma actually had an airport, and it was one of the more populated, more bustling islands, but... Roker's Point, the area where they were given to hold the actual festival, was basically a gravel pit. It was set aside for redevelopment, so you can imagine, if you've ever seen an empty lot, lots of weeds, lots of bare concrete, gravel, just, like, construction fences around it. Not great. Yeah. Um, That's... Yeah. It was also around this time that accounts like at fire fraud were posting insider information about the lies that the public was being fed regarding the festival great exuma was not a private or remote island what was being hailed as fire k which they said was like the private island that the event was being held at was basically a parking lot near sandals resort and what's worse is that the marketing team even posted doctored images to make it look like the site was on its own island so like um one guy that was looking into everything as it was happening found out that uh like on google earth he saw what the site was and then he laid on top of it the images that were being posted um by firefest on twitter and was like this is the same place why are they not it's not on its own island it's on this island next to a very popular resort so stuff like that started getting posted And, um, more people in the industry were starting to notice that things were like, not great. Um, but to make matters more complicated, the two weekends that Billy had picked for the festival happened to be the same time as Great Exuma's biggest event of the year, which was the Exuma Family Regatta. And that was a sailing event that drew thousands to the island and would make finding cars and hotel rooms nearly possible, nearly impossible. Um, I think one person in one of the documentaries said it basically doubled the population of the island on, like, during that time. So, a place that, um, yeah, it has an airport and a sandals resort and, um, basic infrastructure. If you're doubling the population on that island and then you want to have a music festival for 10,000 people, that is stretching it way too thin. Mm -hmm. So, obviously... People were like, dude, you have to move this event. And Billy was like, no, I want it to be this time. Um, male, white male privilege, pretty much. Yeah, you know. Um, so in addition to all the problems going on with the site, the money being collected from the sale of general admission passes was not nearly enough of what they needed to fund the festival. So they ultimately decided to post on the website that uh, GA tickets were sold out. And that all that was left were the premium passes. And luxury villas were promoted for between fifty and a hundred thousand dollars. There was actually a luxury yacht for ten people that was offered for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's
1: you know, I can't even afford a house.
0: Yeah, you're spending like, 250... <laughs> it's more than $250,000 because we'll get to it at the end. That's just for, like, the flight accommodations. Like, $250,000 for literally a weekend.
1: That's so... What? All right. Yeah. I'm sorry, and people talk shit about us buying avocado toast.
0: Yeah, if you're going to spend $250,000 for a weekend, then I'm sorry, but you deserve to have your money taken by a fraudster if you're gonna be so ridiculous with your money
1: these are the types of people that need a conservatorship not britney spears hashtag free britney
0: exactly (laughs) and that's what makes this case so much fun as like a middle class person i mean like first of all i didn't follow any of the people that posted about this like the i heard of it like a lot of people had heard of it like on the news Mm -hmm. but i did not follow a single influencer musician social media person that posted this orange tile <laughs> so right. it was not even in my world to think that like somebody would be following all of these people and then seeing like a million orange tiles literally makes me sick yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah so <sighs> billy was relying on his old standby of getting fast money to pay off one thing but it was starting to catch up with him, no doy. Um, and this is around the time that he started committing wire fraud. Yay! This is the cr- this is where the crime part starts. Um, uh-huh. he was sending screenshots of supposed confirmation pages with the tracking number strategically cut off. So he was like, "Yeah, I sent the money, but like." It's a blank page, pretty much. Like, there's no tracking number. Right. Um, agents of the talent that was supposed to be performing at the festival said that the fire team went into breach of contract almost from day one. They just weren't sending the money, they weren't following wire instructions, they were making excuses for late payments. Like, it was rough from the get go on the um industry side. Obviously, people were still fucking paying. Astronomical funds to go to the festival. Like they said in um, in the documentaries, like people quit their jobs because bosses wouldn't give them time off, and then they like sold all their shit and were coming to the festival. Just fiscal responsibility at its finest. Yeah. Oh. My first festival, I spent three hundred dollars for a three day weekend festival and it literally took like all of my strength to hit like confirm to like buy that um,
1: I spent $30 for a single day at Warped Tour and wore a bikini top so I could tie snacks to my body so I wouldn't have to pay for food or drinks yeah so
0: that, that's the level of, of <laughs> <laughs> fiscal responsibility we're talking about right now yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, but yeah, so on the, industry sh- on the industry side, everything's going to shit. Um, everyone's still buying tickets, getting super excited. Um, but the at Firefraud Twitter page started really to gain traction, and an article was written in the Wall Street Journal talking about the skeptical elements of the festival. It was then that the social media team promoting the festival were told to delete comments that were deemed distasteful, or implied in any way that the festival was a scam um the amazing guy that i'll talk about later in the hulu documentary that once worked for fuck jerry talked about how he was told to um like you can you can put words into a filter on instagram and it will automatically delete comments with that word in it so he was told to block words like questions and flights and even the word festival so all of these comments like wouldn't come through they would just be deleted immediately which people also started to notice like all right i'm not getting any information about my flights uh what the fuck like right this is basically a month out at this point if you're spending all this money you want to have all your fucking information
1: i mean hell i spend five hundred dollars maybe to go home for christmas and fucking delta is up my ass 6 months before going hey so you going to take that flight or we saw you were looking so if you want we're here in case yeah, you need and us yeah they send you like
0: they send you like nine confirmations like okay uh don't forget next week you can uh virtually board your, yeah. yeah virtually check into your flight then like the night before tomorrow morning don't forget you can check into in your flight and then that day do it now do it now and here's then a ticket like, you can you check print. in yet
1: here's a ticket you can add to your apple passes here's a ticket that you can just like wave in the yeah. air on your phone just because you feel like it here's a ticket that says that you have a ticket
0: yeah yeah <laughs> see that makes me so fucking comforted and i print every single one of those so like if i didn't know where my flight was to the Bahamas for an event that I spent upwards of $10,000 on was, Mm -hmm. I'd be freaking out, too. Oh, I'd be freaking out as soon
1: as I hit buy. Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) Um, So, surprise, surprise, Billy was running out of money, and um, he was on the phone with investors to, like, scrape together as much as he could. Um, He presented them with more doctored information regarding the Fire app this time, and artists that were on the platform and paid when they weren't. Um, He even had fake information saying he had around $2 million in Facebook stock, which he was later found out to only have about $1,000. After convincing some idiot, the investor gave him $800,000, and Billy decided that he needed to go jet skiing. (laughs) Um, Just like a white boy. That's... (sighs) So, after that insanely bad idea, Billy decided that the festival needed a pirate ship now. I mean, might as well. Yeah. What could go wrong? Despite the fact that even basic lodging wasn't coming together, he needed to have this pirate ship. Um,
1: Necessities. This is not even
0: mentioning that the luxury bathrooms that were promised would need to be replaced with literal, like, porta-potties. Like, with the blue liquid in it, and, yeah. Mm. Um yeah uh it didn't seem to bother anyone so they ordered two million dollars worth of alcohol um so here's the thing these financial clowns didn't consider that you also had to pay duty to get the liquor into the bahamas you have to pay a fee to import something from a different country i love this part do you know what the duty was on the alcohol
1: um, let's go with $2,000, Alex. No, no, let's add a zero. $20,000, Alex.
0: Duty was 45%. So, so 45% of 2000000 is $900,000.
1: To be fair, I was not a math major. Okay. And also I don't drink alcohol. Yeah. I was very surprised when I found out that $13 was a good price for a mixed drink. So.
0: Depends on how big it is and where you are. The one that got me wasted at the karaoke bar. Moderate. Uh, okay, that was fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd be a little mad about it, but sure.
1: And that's why I don't drink, kids. Okay.
0: Um. Yeah. So basically, all of their alcohol costs two million nine hundred thousand dollars.
1: That's out. Al- that's way too much. That's like that's just for
0: the alcohol. That's like four houses. Yeah. Um. So now the fire team needs even more money. Um, <laughs> Billy, remember the 25-year-old, goes out and gets a $3 million loan from someone named Ezra Birnbaum. And this loan had an interest rate of 120%. And they would need to make a payment of half a million dollars within 16 days. Who the fuck runs
1: this loan payment thing? Sally May?
0: Yeah, but it's $300 million. No, sorry, three million. Not three hundred million. Still too $3 much. Three million dollars. Still too much. Yeah. To a twenty five year old. I
1: somehow chump changed to him,
0: but Whatever I don't I don't I, understand that. This Ezra birnbaum is a financial idiot also. Um so it was around this time, uh, based like a few weeks before the festival, like almost a month out. Um, an email went around to attendees to inform them that this would be a cashless event and that they should load money onto their fire festival wristband so that they could pay for drinks and other services. And they recommended between $300 and 500 a day. <laughs> do you remember the last day you spent $500?
1: I do. In one It was day? a few months ago and I spent it on my car insurance, which I pay every six months.
0: I mean, besides, besides like, Bills and shit.
1: Yeah, no, that's it. Or when I have to go home to visit my family.
0: I get guilty when I buy a coffee on the way to work. I'm looking at a $145
1: desk right now and I'm like, nope, can't pull the trigger.
0: Too much money. $500 for a day of like drinking. And I guess like you could get like massages and bottle service and like all this bullshit. But that's fucking wild. So
1: i don't even i don't even care for them but there better be like like kendall drenner better be fucking stripping on a solid gold bar yeah. with just like a bikini made of hundreds and just her wearing a solid platinum wig i don't know it's just it's that's too much yeah. that's too much
0: well Uh, This actually brought in $2 million, despite the fact that the digital bracelets would be virtually useless on the island due to poor Wi-Fi connections. Oh, for fuck's sake. So the idea wasn't even sound. Um, (laughs) This is also around the time in the Netflix documentary, spoiler alert if you've never seen it, that um, hero Andy King was (laughs) asked to suck dick for 18 containers full of Evian water.
1: God bless. Like
0: shipping containers. Um, apparently the story behind there, like again, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but Customs had asked for $175,000 cash to release the containers of water and Billy asked his, quote, fearless gay leader, end quote, to, quote, take one for the team, end quote, and suck the head of Customs dick for the water. And how much do you want to bet
1: by take one for the team? He just meant that, in his perspective, the customs team was unattractive. How much do you want to bet that that was on- the only reason why he thought it would be taking one for the team?
0: Also, Billy, when's it your turn to suck a dick?
1: Yes, like, seriously.
0: Well, he's probably been sucking Ja Rule's dick. I mean, I don't deny it. <laughs> um, it's, it's a fantastic part of the Netflix documentary. I'll get into the comparison between the documentaries in a mm. little bit, but A yeah, plus story. Iconic, yes iconic have you ever been so dedicated to a cause that you would do something like that because i don't no no like the memes the memes are like his face like when was the last time you went above and beyond yeah for work Uh. and i'm like god bless this man he's amazing
1: like i'll be completely honest i love this podcast i greatly enjoy it i love the people that it has introduced us to and everything but if you told me that the only thing standing between us continuing to make more episodes was me hopping down on my knees and sucking a dick, I'm sorry. It's been a great run. I love you all. I really appreciate it, but we're going to have to end this year.
0: Wow. All sorry. Right. Sorry. Good, good to know where your loyalties lie. <laughs> I'm not taking Jeez. one for the tea. <laughs> Fuck you then. Um. Anyway, uh contractors were working around the clock to finish the festival site uh, the police showed up and shut down the job because the fire team weren't paying the international insurance <gasps> yeah so these idiots think that they're like oh yeah we can throw a festival for under 50 million dollars you don't think about like the taxes you have to pay duty you have to pay insurance like there's not fun things you need to spend money on. Yeah. Like, it's not all pirate ships and bottle service. Right. Whatever. And jet skis. Yeah. So, this is like a week before the festival, by the way. Um, at this point, pretty much every single person working there knows it's not going to happen. If they thought it was going to happen at that point, I would literally like to just shove a starfish in their ear. <laughs> because how the fuck a good image. <laughs> could you not know? The site was still a gravel pit, there weren't enough accommodations for everybody, the luxury caterer pulled out, and nearly all of the musical acts who weren't paid as promised were like, dude, I'm not fucking coming. Right. (laughs) The stages weren't even set up. There was like half a stage set up.
1: So what you're saying is they knew that they weren't coming. (laughs) Oh, 100%. (laughs) No, like I'm saying, the the workers were just like, yeah, I'm not even going to bother. They're probably not coming. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs>
0: well, I felt so bad because workers were having like panic attacks and right. just like bailing out of the job. And the people that stayed weren't being paid. Right. Like, you tell me I'm not being paid for something. I'm not showing up. Yeah, why? Fine, it. Why? Mm-mm. It's hot. It's not going to happen. Nobody cares if it's being set up or torn down. Like, why? Yeah. No. Yeah. So the day before, people worked through the night till around like three o'clock in the morning and then it starts raining it became a full-on monsoon hours before the first guests were supposed to arrive the only finished tents were just being washed away like waterlogged washed away and one of the guys in um the netflix documentary said quote at least they won't get away with it now and true true yeah so The first flights from Miami International Airport to Exuma International Airport landed at 620. They were actually really funny. They were due in at 650, but they got there at 620. So they were even like, the one thing that was like, maybe we can get an extra like 20 minutes. No. Mm. (laughs) The first flight was early. So the initial arrivals, like the first three planes, were brought to an impromptu beach party at a beachside restaurant. And that was the one owned by Marion... Rollet. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the Bahaman woman who was yep. interviewed for the Netflix documentary, which we'll get to, absolute sweetheart of a person, gorgeous restaurant, holy shit, yes, <laughs> all of those images. It's on the water. There's a huge pier, like, and the food. I would go bomb. there. Yes, it looked incredible. And for all the stress she was under, bless this person. God bless. Um. So it was at this like impromptu beach party where they were trying to keep people like occupied for a little while mm. um they were just basically just shoved full of alcohol and kept waiting for around six hours while the frantic pe- preparations at the festival site continued <laughs> it's just delusion at this point like a, a week out and it's still not like even 20 percent done i would have been like peace yo like yep. keep my fee i'm not interested um So, like I said, Billy had hired hundreds of local Bahaman workers to help build the site. Um, Meanwhile, organizers had to renegotiate the guarantees that they were offering to people who would be playing at the festival, as more costs just spiraled out of control. Um, Later arrivals um, to the island were brought directly to the grounds by a regular, just yellow school bus, and that's where the true state of the festival site became apparent. Their accommodations were basically just scattered around disaster relief tents. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had dirt floors. Some of the mattresses were just piled up, soaking wet from the rain. Um, The gourmet food um, was inadequate and very poor quality. And that is the infamous picture of just cheese on bread with like some leaves around it. In, like, the foam containers. So
1: gourmet.
0: Yeah. Um, so, festival goers were dropped off at the production bungalow where Billy and the fire team were based so that they could be registered, but after hours of waiting in vain and as the sun was going down, people just rushed to claim their own tents. They're like, fuck this, I don't know where I am, I don't know, I spent all this money, get me a place to fucking lay down. (laughs) Um, although there was only about 500 people there there weren't enough tents and beds for all the guests so uh lots of people just wound up stealing stuff from others um attendees were unable to leave the festival for the nearby sandals resort because it was peak season and almost every hotel on great exuma was already fully booked from the regatta so Uh like the government had already warned him like dude there's gonna be no plan b here right (laughs) like there's nowhere for these people to stay but he doesn't
1: need a plan b he is plan b he's billy mcfarland
0: no he's a fucking idiot yep if Um, he was plan b we would all be pregnant by now but anyway (laughs) around nightfall a group of local musicians took the stage and played for a few hours and they were the only act to perform at the event this is something that's actually not talked about in either of the documentaries yeah um, but that's hilarious that somebody actually played.
1: That's that's honestly that's pretty nice of them.
0: Yeah, because obviously they weren't paid. Yeah, it was just a bunch of locals just trying to make these entitled kids feel better. Yes, <laughs> right. The poor um, white people. The poor white people. The luggage arrived in two huge shipping containers, um, and basically just thrown out of the shipping containers as fast as possible. And people had to get their things. Um, in a very Hunger Games slash Lord of the Flies type mentality, um, people started looting and just stealing shit for themselves. Oh, wow. Um, people that went said um, people were dragging mattresses and pallets of toilet paper off for themselves and, um, again, this was a construction site, so there's really no electricity and these fucking clowns couldn't even set up a couple tents so there's no lights anywhere. So, after uh after the sun went down, it was fucking pitch black. And people said that it just felt, like, post-apocalyptic. Like, people were just, like, distantly crying and tense. And, like, <laughs> just wasted. And I can't even. I've been, I've been camping at, like, an organized music festival. At an organized campground. And the things you hear at night after people have been at a festival all day long and drunk... Oh. It's wild. And that's like in the best of circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, people made it through the night. And in the early morning, it was announced that the festival would be postponed. And that the attendees would be returned to Miami as soon as possible. Ew. The first flight back to Miami boarded around one thirty in the morning on April 28th. But it was delayed for hours due to issues with the flight's manifest. So basically, like they had uh, they had listed on paper that 111 people were on the flight but when they did like the head count like right before they left there was 112 people so they made everyone get off the plane and then had everyone come back on the plane and when they got back on the plane they were sitting on the tarmac for a couple hours and then uh they came over the loudspeaker and be like hey this crew's been on for too long everyone needs to get off again like this flight can't happen which happened to me When I was coming back from Nashville, when I I went to go visit Elliot, they delayed my flight, delayed, 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 delay, And finally, like a flight comes in and they're like, hey, this crew has been on for too long. They can't fly out again. So you guys either need to sleep in the airport or find somewhere to go.
1: (laughs) I remember the choice words you had to say after that.
0: Yeah, uh, that was when my inner Karen just erupted. I was like, I deserve something from this. And it takes a (laughs)
1: lot, may I just say on your behalf. For her to come out. My flight was supposed
0: to leave at two in the afternoon and I got told at, uh, 1210. Yeah. That, um, like in the morning the next day that we weren't leaving. So I had a right to be angry. Oh, yes. Um, anyway, so I can't imagine these fucking poor people. (laughs) And I had a place to go afterwards. Like, Elliot was living like 15 minutes away. So it was like, hey, my flight's not leaving. Pick me up. (laughs) Um, But these people were stuck in a place they had never been before. So um, after they um, canceled the flight, the passengers were locked into the Exuma Airport Terminal with no access to food, water, or air conditioning. And this is where a passenger recalled that at least one person passed out from the heat and had to be hospitalized. So I think in the... I think in the Netflix documentary, they interview the manager of this airport, and he said they had to lock everyone in because they couldn't afford to like have someone come out and like light up a cigarette, and then something explodes. Um, so they just locked everybody in with giant chains. It looked like a zombie apocalypse right. way to lock a door. Anyway, um, so the flight eventually left Exuma that morning... And more charter flights to Miami departed from Exuma throughout the day. One attendee who was stuck in Miami reported that the pilot of their airplane had told them to get off so they could turn the plane around for immediate departure, as they were now serving as a rescue aircraft to get <laughs> attendees <laughs> off of Great Exuma. <laughs> also, there were only like five hundred people. How many flights is that? Probably it can't be about, that many. Probably like five flights. Unless they were like the, the little itty bitty planes. True
1: true if it's just a little puddle jumper then that's not a lot that's maybe 50 yeah
0: so the after is i think one of my favorite parts of this whole thing (laughs) so ja rule posted a note on twitter saying quote it was not a scam not a scam in all caps end quote and (laughs) another piece was quote this is all caps not my fault End (laughs) quotes
1: Okay, Jarrell. Okay,
0: okay. okay. Um, this is fantastic. The Fire Festival uh, posted a statement on their website. I'm going to read you the full statement because Ugh. I love it so much. It's just
1: oh, so tasty.
0: Anyway, quote: Fire Festival set out to prove a once-in-a-lifetime musical experience on the islands of the Exumas. Due to circumstances out of our control. The physical infrastructure was not in place on time, and we were unable to fulfill on that vision safely and enjoyably for our guests. At this time, we are working tirelessly to get flights scheduled and get everyone off of Great Exuma and home safe and quickly as possible. Uh, We ask that guests currently on island do not make their own arrangements to get to the airport, and we are coordinating those plans. We are working to place everyone on complimentary charters back to Miami today. This process has commenced and the safety and comfort of our guests is our top priority. The festival is being postponed until we can further assess if and when we are able to create the high quality experience we envisioned. We ask for everyone's patience and cooperation during this difficult time as we work as quickly and safely as we can to remedy the unforeseeable situation. We will continue to provide regular updates via email to our guests and via our official social media channels as they become available. End quote. Okay. So phrases like, due to circumstances out of our control, and, um, the high quality, high quality experience we envisioned, the festivals being postponed, ah, uh, I mean, unforeseeable situation. To be fair, to be fair, they,
1: I'm sure, did not plan on being born stupid.
0: And you know what? Like, I had this conversation because I had to watch some of these documentaries, like, with other people around. So, like, people got into it and we were talking about it. And I had been doing so much research that I feel like if they were given... 18 to 24 months, maybe they could have done it. I think it might have been the... T- like, obviously he was very irresponsible with money. He would have had to have, like, investors who actually fucking watched him. Yes. And were invested and, like, cared about oh. what was going on with their money. And Ja Rule should not have been his partner
1: in this, of all people. No. It should have been somebody no. with a bit more business acumen.
0: I feel like if you got rid of Billy and... uh his there was one other guy that they talk about in the documentaries, but like I didn't even get into this guy called Grant, um, mm-hmm. who was like Billy's right hand henchman. He was his LeFou um in Beauty and the Beast terms. Um but if you got rid of Billy, if you got rid of Grant and you got rid of Ja Rule, the people who like People who were more behind the scenes and were brought on kind of later in the process, like, I feel like they really wanted to do something good. Yeah! And they really wanted to fulfill on this vision. Um, But... When Billy was calling the shots, basically, it was like, you can't do anything to fix stupid. No. (laughs) No! It just wasn't gonna happen.
1: It's just... It was doomed from the minute he put his name on it what would have been smart so clearly not something for him to be capable of doing is to have sold that idea to someone
0: who could do it no he's a white man it has to have his name on it no i know oh i know anyway the bahamas ministry of tourism apologized on behalf of the nation and denied having any responsibility for how the events unfolded the workers who constructed the site and the restaurant that provided the meals for the festival staff were never paid and that led the restaurant owner in the netflix documentary um to go to gofundme and that gofundme raised um upwards of two hundred thousand dollars i think she said in the documentary that she she spent fifty thousand dollars of her own money to pay the people off that that were working for her because she was a local. She lived on the island. She couldn't just, like... Billy fucking peaced out right Right. after. Ja Rule peaced out. Like, everybody bailed. And it was the people who lived on the island that kind of vouched for Billy were fucked because, like, all of these people that worked were like, okay, well, you had connections to this guy. How do I get my money? So he fucked over so many people. Um but this is a fun thing. The Fire Festival announced that it would offer all attendees a choice between a full repu- refund or VIP tickets to the following year's festival.
1: I can't imagine anybody was stupid enough to go for the VIP.
0: I I would love to meet a person that had that much faith. Billy McFarland. <laughs>
1: yeah right <laughs> he bought his own vip he was
0: like no I well don't... in the in the hulu document sorry the netflix documentary they talk about like a couple months after like a month or two after uh everything happened billy was meeting with ja rule to talk about fire festival 2018 mm-hmm. like he really thought yep <laughs> this wasn't going to ruin him
1: right and that he wasn't even going to that people didn't notice I think is the best way to put it, that nobody, like, saw what a dumpster fire this was and was just, like... Oh, he
0: bragged. He was, like, oh, my God, did you see they did Fire Festival on on SNL? I'm, uh, like, dude, they made fun of you. Like, you really care, like, as long as they're talking about you, you don't care if it's good or bad. Like, you're a fucking (sighs) idiot. Everyone made fun of him. Anyway, now I'm getting into the lawsuits because these are real fun. So good. So... As a result of the festival billy and jaw rule are the subject of a 100 million dollar lawsuit in the state of california with jaw rule later being dismissed from the lawsuit um by the judge in july of 2019 so only recently like a year ago yeah um it was filed on behalf of uh plaintiff daniel jung by entertainment lawyer mark gregagos sure um who was seeking a class action lawsuit. Um, for more than 150 plaintiffs. Per the filing, Jung's uh, lawsuit alleges fraud, breach of contract, partially because the decisions by the organizers to make the festival cashless uh, so that the attendees didn't bring money for f- taxis, which I didn't even think of. When they said, like, okay, this is a cashless event, that means no one's bringing their money or credit cards. So when you have what you think is going to be $500 a day on a wristband, you don't think you need anything else. But when that doesn't actually happen, now you're left with $0 Mm -hmm. to like get you to the airport, which is terrifying. Right. Um, uh, Other things in the lawsuit said there was a breach of covenant of good faith, partially due to the inadequate catering and the incident where attendees were locked into the airport. Uh, and also negligent misrepresentation. Um, Ben Meslis of Gregago's firm pledged to hold, quote, all those who recklessly and blindly promoted the festival, end quote, accountable, uh, which was interpreted as being directed at all of the influencers and models like Jenner and Hadid and everybody that just posted, like, hey, we're uh, promoting this. And we're promoting the music, and we're promoting buying tickets. Um, one of the lawyers stated that Fire Festival sent cease and desist letters to whistleblowers. So anyone that was posting shit about the Fire Festival, the fire team was like sending them letters saying, "Like, hey, we're gonna sue you if you talk shit about this festival." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there was a second class action lawsuit that was later dismissed. Um, it alleged that the fire team deceived patrons into attending the festival by paying more than 400 social media personalities and celebrities to promote it. The parties were accused of breach of contract, negligent misrepresentation, and fraud. Then there was a third lawsuit filed in New York federal court against Ja Rule, Billy, Fire Media, and the chief marketing officer, Grant Margolin. Plaintiffs Matthew Hurley and Anthony Lore- Lorello Uh, accused the festival organizers of, quote, false representations, material omissions, negligence, fraud, and violations of consumer protection statuses, end quote. Uh, The suit also claimed, quote, upon the arrival of guests to the island of Great Exuma for the first weekend, the island was lacking basic uh, amenities, was covered in dirt, and guests had to sleep in tents with wet blankets. There was no communal showers or bathrooms as promised. Instead, there were porta-potties, about one for every 200 yards that were being knocked down and only three showers, although there were hundreds of people arriving, end quote. I didn't even think of that part. That's fucking disgusting.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that's sanitary.
0: And here's also the other thing, very high school mentality. You are all in this situation. I understand that there are only a couple of porta-potties and that is fucking horrible, but knocking them down literally helps zero people, and nope. it makes it worse for you, also. Mhm. Yep. No one wants that. No one wants to like, see it, smell it, none of it. I understand you're angry. Don't fucking knock down a porta potty. This is people's like only. <laughs> you only, only place to go. Yes,
1: you're only hurting yourselves here.
0: Yeah. Um. But yeah, I didn't even think of that part. It's fucking gross. Um, so, like I said, this lawsuit was dismissed in November 2019 with the judge granting plaint- plaintiff's limited leave to replead with respect to particular allegations against Ja Rule. On May 4th, another lawsuit was filed by National Event Services, NES, which provided medical services for the festival and claimed to have suffered $250,000 in damages, Ugh. alleging breach of contract, fraud, and negligence by the organizers. The suit alleged that fire, quote, failed and or refused to buy cancellation insurance and failed to secure a contract with a medical evacuation helicopter or plane, end quote. NES employees reported that the local medical clinic was closed and the accommodation was uninhabitable uninhabitable, with bug infestation, infestation, bloodstained mattresses, and no air conditioning. So, God forbid you even scrape your fucking knee while you're at this thing because you're getting tetanus now. You're getting hep C. Yeah, right? Um, Also in May, festival attendee Andrew Petrozello filed a lawsuit in New Jersey federal court alleging that the organizers violated the state's Consumer Fraud Act and committed breach of contract. There was a sixth lawsuit filed in Florida federal court as a class action suit alleged... Uh, violations that include fraud, negligence, and breach of contract. You know, the ones that have been popping up in all of them. Um, The plaintiffs Kenneth and Emily Real accused the organizers of sending cease and desist letters to people who criticized the festival on social media. So I guess they were one of these people that was like, yo, fuck Fire Festival, and then got sued for it. Cute. Uh, There was a seventh lawsuit filed in Manhattan federal court as a class action suit on behalf of Sean Daly and Edward Ivey, in addition to the infractions mentioned in the other lawsuits, this one allege unjust enrichment and violation of New York state business law, claiming that the organizers continued to offer VIP upgrades and opportunities to deposit money onto the FireBand payment system after the festival had been canceled. There was, people were still getting emails to be like, hey, put money on this thing. When, Your balance is low. Yeah. But, uh, I hate it. Now there's an eighth lawsuit filed in Suffolk County Superior Court in Boston on behalf of ticketing vendor Tablelist. The company is alleged that the festival organizers and financial backers committed breach of contract and fraudulently deceived Tableist and ticket purchasers. Tablelist was seeking $3.5 million to refund customers as well as damages resulting from loss of business after being forced to lay off 40% of their workforce to focus on the litigation. Damn. So, they had to fire 40% of the people so that they could pay the lawyers to sue Fire Media. Jesus. Yeah. On July 3rd, 2018, two North Carolina attendees, Seth Crosono and Mark Thompson, were awarded $5 million in damages. The judgment was granted against Billy McFarlane in absentia after he failed to respond to the court proceedings. Ja Rule was initially named as a co-defendant, but was later removed from the suit after an undisclosed private agreement with the two attendees' attorney. Ja Rule said in January 2019 that he had also been defrauded by Billy. Oh, for heaven's sakes. Um, So, like I mentioned earlier, in November 2019, he was dismissed from the class action lawsuit filed by festival attendees. The judge determined that it had not been proven his promotion of the festival on social media had directly led plaintiffs to attend. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, but that was also a little underhanded thing. It's like, well, no one's going because Ja Rule said to go. Yeah, but at the same <laughs> so no, time... He's he's bad at influencing people on social media. That's basically what they they ruled in. He's not <laughs> able to influence people.
1: But at the same time... Does that mean everybody went because fucking no-name Billy McFarland
0: told them to? No, because it was fucking the Jenners, oh. and uh, they said that Kanye was going to be there. They said that all these people were going to be there. Mm. So, I mean, I guess when you see that, you're like, yeah, this is legit. If you're sure. into that sort of shit, but whatever. Um, so, this is a fun thing. In December 2017, after the Fire Festival, which was in April... Mm-hmm. Fire Festival attendees started receiving emails from a Frank Tribble at New York City VIP Access, claiming to have exclusive tickets to events like the Met Gala, Burning Man, and Coachella. People thought that Billy had probably just sold the guest list for the Fire Festival to mm-hmm. another ticketing agency, but really, Billy was behind the whole thing. Yep. Surprise, surprise. His I'm friend, not. Frank Tribble put everything in his name and actually spoke on the phone to people. So Billy's voice wouldn't be recognized. And it's so funny in the, um, Netflix documentary, he, they have video of this guy and he's wearing like a magnesis hat and a fire <laughs> fest, like sweatshirt. And I'm like, could you suck his dick anymore? Like <laughs> you should have had him Dude. go get the water from customs. <laughs> yeah. Right. Jesus Christ. Save some dick for the rest of us. <laughs> um, so basically, you could quickly Google any of these events that were advertised and know immediately that they were fake. Um, one of them that was advertised was a Taylor Swift meet and greet. And I don't know Taylor Swift, but apparently she's very open about not doing meet and greets. Sure, why not? Um, the Met Gala. There's no tickets that you can get for the Met Gala. Every mm-hmm. person there needs to be approved by Anna Wintour. Like, mm-hmm. you only get there by invitation. You're mm-hmm. not You're not selling tickets to this thing. And the Vittoria's Secret Fashion Show, at the time that it was being advertised as like hey we have exclusive tickets it hadn't even been cast yet yeah and plus so,
1: that was about the time where they were getting to a point where you can't even give tickets away
0: yeah exactly um at least 15 idiots gave nyc vip access over hundred thousand dollars for fraudulent tickets oh for fuck's sake yeah there's always going to be a couple idiots out there <sighs>
1: More than a couple, um, based on the number of people that won't wear their masks.
0: I'm not even getting into it, but the email list that was going out for NYC VIP access was basically the same email list as Fire Festival. So the idiots who had, I like, okay, you fell for Fire Festival, but now you're falling for this bullshit. Like, you need to be taken away. Yep, <laughs> fool you twice. Too Shame much on for you. you. Um, in March 2018, Billy McFarlane pleaded guilty to two counts of wire, fra- wire fraud in federal court uh, in Manhattan and admitted to using fake documents to attract investors to put more than $26 million into his company. He agreed to forfeit over $26 million. Um, then on June 12th, 2018, just hours after an article was published on Vice detailing the crossover between FIRE and NYC VIP access, Billy was charged with selling fraudulent tickets to events while out on bail. Ah. Uh, He was charged with fraud, money laundering, identity theft, and witness intimidation because he told at least two people not to talk to the FBI and to pretend that they were represented by legal counsel when they were not. What? Like, how do you think that that's
1: going to work out well for you? Um,
0: (sighs) Well, on October 11th, 2018, he was sentenced to six years in federal prison. Not enough. And for these, like, recent crimes, like, this is October 11th, 2018. Do you ever, like, see that, see a date from, like, a recent crime? You're like, okay, what was I doing on that day? <laughs> yes. And, like, this is, the, this is probably the worst day of his life. He, he was sentenced to six years in federal prison. I was in Georgia on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Just the different lives we lead. Um... So, where is he now? Billy Damn. is currently incarcerated at FCI Elkton in Lisbon, Ohio, in April 2020. So very recently, during the pandemic, he requested compassionate release from prison to avoid contracting the virus. No, uh, his, crest was, his request was denied the same month. Yep. But in July 2020, so last month, it was reported that he tested positive for COVID-19 <laughs> at the facility. <laughs> oh
1: wow oops that's that is something yeah so now we're
0: getting we're getting into the pop culture side which is the fun part um so the first is the hulu documentary which came out four days before the netflix documentary which is is also one of my favorite points it is arguably Um, the better one i personally like this one better i will get into like the Comparison between them because like i said they came out within four days of each other mm-hmm. and the netflix one was like publicized they were like oh yeah we're getting a firefest documentary and then boom hulu was like me first <laughs> i love it partially because the netflix documentary was produced in part by jerry media mm-hmm. fuck jerry mm-hmm. so obviously it heavily downplayed their involvement yes in in that fuck jerry had right. in promoting the festival where as as we'll get into with fire fraud ooh,
1: the way they take them
0: down is the best so fire fraud is the hulu one it has a rotten tomato score of 80 percent audience score of 58 percent google score of 87 percent and a 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb. so pretty decent yeah Uh, The critics consensus is, quote, in the battle over fire festival content, fire fraud comes out swinging with a questionable interview of con man Billy McFarlane and a thoughtful exploration of nefarious social strategy, end quote. So what this one has that the other one doesn't, this one has an interview with Billy McFarlane. Like, Uh, Yeah. They sit him down and talk to him, mm-hmm. and it's also wild. He also, like, looks like every boy I went to high school with, and it makes me want to fucking punch him in the yep. face. I don't know if that's yep. just a New Jersey thing, but, like... Uh, nope, I couldn't see his I was also heartbroken when I found out he was from Jersey.
1: I could not see his feet, but I knew he was wearing Sperry's and salmon shorts. I I would no, bet money. No, he was... In,
0: in the well in some of the like the fire um like promotional shit he is but in the documentary he's wearing like a tight black shirt and like black jeans with like really high platform shoes and like maybe a chain wallet i was like dude is this 2009 where are you um but yeah it's great um the hulu documentary also gives a really good in-depth look at billy's past ventures that led to fire So they talk about, like, Magnesis and, like, where he's come from, which I found was really interesting and actually Mm -hmm. really helpful to understand, like, what happens afterwards. And also this one has, like, the uh, references to Parks and Rec and The Office. So they, like, someone specifically compares him to uh, Tom and John Ralphio in Entertainment 720, and they have, like, little clips and everything. Like, the Hulu one had more... Um, like pop culture clips that they would like pull out. I thought it was more entertaining. They also have the amazingly hot guy from Fuck Jerry. Orin Axe, I think his name was. Yes. Great name. Great name. Really hot. Also the fucking best part of this documentary. He is fucking hilarious. And the way he's like, fuck this business. I don't work for them anymore. This is everything that they had to do with it. Yep. Um this one I also felt like it had. Uh, It had a better flow in terms of the information that they were giving. I thought it had better coverage of his um, other business ventures and, like, who he is as a person. And also, selfishly, um, there's clips afterwards from, like, um, talk shows where people are talking about how much of a, like, dumpster fire this thing was. And one of the ones that they use is um, Dave Matthews' clip. Yes. So... Uh, selfishly i like that yep. um, they've got you there yeah so the second one better name is yep. the netflix documentary fire the greatest party that never happened um came out four days after the hulu one uh it has an overall better rating it's a rotten tomato score of 92 percent audience score of 87 google score of 86 and imdb 7.2 out of 10 and the critics consensus is quote fire smolders with agonizing tension when a party in paradise goes awry but this slickly assembled documentary reserves its greatest horror for damning observations about the dangers of wealth end quote and this one does have um like there's some crossover on the people that they interviewed but this one has Andy King Mm. who was one of the uh, advisors to Billy and just seems like a great person I love him um this documentary also had more of the um bahaman workers like yeah talking about their experience which i thought was really good um but like i said it downplayed jerry media's involvement Mm -hmm. in what they had to do with it right uh i also thought this one was a lot more serious like the yeah hulu one ends with um uh build me up buttercup (laughs) as like the last song this one was like like scary.
1: Yeah, it was more. <laughs> it was more sinister. It's. it's it was just, more. Like, this is a crime. Right, which it is, but at the same time, it it's just it's so laughable that he thought he could get away with it. Yeah. Like, the entire um, scenario is just scored by Yakity sacks.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, both documentaries are fantastic. I recommend you watch both, but I prefer the Hulu one. Yes, I know a lot of people prefer. Um, the Netflix one. I think Elliot liked the Netflix one better. No, Elliot's um, boring.
1: Cut it out, Elliot. What are oh. you going to do? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, interestingly, both documentaries end with Billy calling one of the people that is being interviewed. Like, in the Netflix one, I think his... No. In the Hulu one, his girlfriend is also interviewed. And, like, he calls her at, like, the end of the documentary and, she, like, she picks up. Mm-hmm. In the Netflix one, it was uh, one of the guys from the Bahamas... That he just so happened to be calling while he was being interviewed. Right. Very. Which I just thought was weird. Yeah, I was going to say. Also, he calls so many people.
1: Right. And like, <laughs> dude, you're a millennial. You've never heard of texting. Yeah. Right.
0: Anyway. Um. So in 2017, uh, in a tweet, Seth Rogen stated that the Lonely Island comedy trio were planning a movie about fire festival. Yes. In 2019, Yorma uh confirmed that the parody film was still in process which love it ooh,
1: i'm ready i think they're
0: the best people to do it
1: it is it truly i want to see it's so bad truly and here's the thing like everybody sees kind of andy sandberg as the face of the lonely island because he's the one that got picked up for snl he's mm-hmm. often like the the justin well, the other timberlake Well, yeah, but I'm saying that's what I'm saying. He was like the face of it, but Yorma Tacone is so good at playing like a rich asshole. Yeah, he was on girls. That's what I was gonna say. He was fantastic at it in girls, and he looks a little bit more like Billy McFarland. And I just feel like I really hope that they have him as the Billy
0: character. I just, I mean, if Seth Rogen's gonna be Billy, I'm still on board for it. He's way too old, but. Oh, that would be oh, great! I that love it. I don't so, care who they get. It's so good.
1: Honestly, <clears throat> they could get fucking Tommy Wiseau, and I would still watch it. Yeah.
0: Um. In 2018, American punk band Alkaline Trio, whose singer and guitarist Matt Skiba also plays for Blink 182, um, who <laughs> they were the first act to cancel. Mm-hmm. Um, they, it was posted on Instagram. They released a song called "Goodbye Fire Island," which ah. was inspired by Blink 182's involvement with the festival. <laughs> Uh, and this is a great one. In twenty nineteen Ryan Reynolds featured Andy King and his signature quote from the fire documentary mm-hmm. in an advertisement for his gin brand.
1: Which he actually also just sold, fun fact, aviation gin. Oh really? He sold it for a fuck ton of money apparently, but not enough that like it, it's if you Google gin it. Gin is garbage anyway, I don't really care. See, that's like it's weird, it's one of the few that I can tolerate.
0: No, it smells like a Christmas tree and tastes like vomit.
1: Oh no, to me it smells like rubbing alcohol and tastes like just seltzer that's slightly gone off. That's vodka.
0: No, that's gin. For <laughs> me, that's gin. <laughs> um, this is actually very topical, very recent. It was announced last month that the U.S. Marshals would be auctioning off the seized Firefest merch that mm-hmm. was going to be sold at the event. Um, so the bidding is over now, yeah. but I went onto to the bidding site uh, when it was active to see what everything was going for and some of the big ticket items included a few branded baseball caps some going for five hundred and fifteen dollars each um there was a branded white crew neck sweatshirt so like no hoodie white sweatshirt that said fire on it going for eight hundred and five dollars and then there was a black branded wristband basically like the payment wristband that Mm -hmm. was going for a hundred dollars and US Marshal John So sorry, Ralph Sozo of the Southern District of New York said in a statement, quote, This Fire Festival branded clothing and other items that were seized from Billy McFarland were originally intended to be sold at the Fire Festival itself, but were kept by McFarland with the intent to sell the items and use the funds to commit further criminal acts while he was on pretrial release. The proceeds from the sale of these items are um, all traceable to McFarlane's $26 million fraud will go towards the victims of his crimes.
1: That's nice. End quote. Yeah.
0: Very deserving.
1: Am I to expect a fire festival wristband in my stocking this Christmas?
0: I'm not spending fucking $100 on that bullshit. (laughs) See, this goes right Uh, back to our conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Um... (laughs) I remember, because I, like, when this was all going down, I was eating this information up. I mm-hmm. was like, oh my God, all of these rich white millennials got, like, scammed out of their money, and I didn't even, like, I don't listen to any of the bullshit artists that were going to go there besides maybe Blink-182, right. but I don't follow them on social media or anything. No. I don't care that much. Right. Um, But i just i read every article and mm-hmm. there was an article on buzzfeed talking about different people's experiences when they were going there i cannot find it i looked everywhere for it really? it has to be like wiped off the center of the earth maybe but it got archived i don't know but there was a screenshot of the one part that i was looking for <laughs> and like the, it, in it they like have like a picture of somebody who was there their name and like who their tag, like who, like what influencer Mm -hmm. they were and like their experience there. So this was labeled Josh, random guy (laughs) and he said, quote, I got my ticket in a raffle at work, thought it'd be cool, didn't have much in the way of expectations, but yeah, watching rich people freak out because their luggage was being handled roughly or they were slightly dehydrated, oh it was like chicken soup for the middle class soul, best weekend (laughs) of my life, end quote. Oh, that's amazing. I don't know if that's real, but I want to give this guy a million dollars.
1: I mean, to be fair, <laughs> just hearing about it is chicken soup to my middle class soul. So
0: it's it works incredible. I think in one of the documentaries, they had like a clip from um, Trevor Noah's show. Mm-hmm. And he said, Wow, people really, white people really like uh, camping unless it's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Yeah. Oh, I love it. I mean, I have a couple of friends that if they found out we were going to a place without Wi-Fi, they would, like, make an excuse not to go. So, like, yeah. that's the level of, like, bullshit people there are in the world.
1: See, I don't need Wi-Fi. I do need service, but that's mostly because of my innate fear of horror movies.
0: Yeah. Oh, Speaking of horror movies and right. getting a little off topic, Here we but go. there's a movie that... I think Dave Franco either wrote it or directed it. I think he directed it. Is this Horse Girl? Uh, no. And his wife is in it, Alison Brie. Are you sure it's not Horse Girl? I'm positive. Okay. It's a horror movie called The Rental about, like, somebody who gets, like, an Airbnb and, like, shit goes down. Uh, nope. And I want to see it so bad. That's... Um, oof. Yeah, but anyway... Uh, that's that. That is the Fire Festival. So I hope that if um, you didn't know about it previously, that you do all of your research now because it is fantastic. Wow. It really is. This, like, we're running over, but like, there's still like other shit about it. Like, um, Matt Skiba from. Blink-182 says he put a hex on the fire festival, and that's why <laughs> everything went wrong. Of course. And there's also a story about how um, Andy King actually didn't want the dick-sucking story to be on yes. the... Yeah, on the documentary. So, like, every article is, like, a different angle at this festival, and you could never do enough research on it, so... Get to it. Solid This is one goal. of my... F- there's no murder, and it's just a... A nice white people crime.
1: Yes. And sometimes, you know, that's just what you need. Just like random guy Josh said.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, I'm glad the GoFundMe was successful for uh, the restaurant owner and, um, like, bringing awareness to how shitty this all was. Like, yeah, it was, like, joked about on social media, but the documentaries really showed that it did negatively impact people's lives in, like, a real way. It's not like, not like somebody just, like, lost a weekend. It was like, no, so people spent their life savings right. trying to, like, compensate people. So, like, the fact that it brought that to light, I'm happy that the documentaries came out. And if there's going to be a Lonely Island slash Seth, Seth Rogan movie about it, uh, I mean, we should have a viewing party. I'm ready. I'm down. It's going to be incredible. I mean... COVID has already taken away two of my favorite shows um, so far that they just, like, canceled or decided not to move forward, forward with it because the, the pandemic was, like, shutting down production time. So mm-hmm. if it ruins one more thing, I might just end it.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, that's not a cry for help or anything.
0: Yeah. Oh man. Right. No, I'm in, I'm in the throes worried. of wedding planning during a pandemic, so True. True. I'm already ready to gouge my eyes out. You've brought this upon yourself. You didn't have to say yes. Hi Elliot. I didn't. I should have <laughs> known. I really just didn't have the foresight there. <laughs> if only. Yeah. Anyway, it just hit midnight here. Yeah. So let's it's get tomorrow. You to bed. Okay.
1: Let's tuck you and your little nub bun in. Ah. <laughs> okay. Bye. Okay. Bye.